0: Morning, everybody. It's a great honor and joy for me to preach to you this morning. I hope we can get that first slide up, can we? It's not about kids' time to move. In fact. <laughs> yeah, they always try and sabotage you the first time you get up here, right? I called my sermon this morning, He Who Dies with the Most Toys Still Dies. And um Yeah, that used to be on a t-shirt in the 80s. I think some of you might remember that if you're as old as I am. But the thing is, it's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. I don't think, I sincerely hope there's nobody here who thinks that they're never going to die and leave this earth. If you do think that, please come and talk to me and I'll help you get corrected afterwards. But the challenge for us is this. Do we live as if we believe that? Do we really live as if we believe that? And so the actual title of my sermon, if you can go to the next one, is about money and stuff and materialism. Now, there's no doubt that money and stuff is incredibly important in our lives, in our world today. Think about it. Every crime that's committed, or at least most of them, if they're not out and out, just pure, unadulterated violence, they're about getting more money, aren't they? Um, If you think about it, uh, marriages that fail. The stats tell us that Many marriages that fail, fail because of arguments about money. And then, of course, once the marriage has failed, what do the lawyers do for the next five years? They fight about who gets what and where does the stuff go, right, until it all goes to them. Um, maybe, maybe you buy lottery tickets. I don't know if you personally have bought lottery tickets. You, you go and stand in a queue to buy a number that gives you the same chance of winning that jackpot as being struck by lightning, more or less, But the fascination, the idea that if I could get my hands on that 30 million, my life would change. It just keeps you standing in that queue and spending money that you probably didn't have in the beginning. And the interesting thing is that our environment that we live in feeds this. It just absolutely feeds our need for more. They say that American kids, by the time they're 20, they've watched one million TV adverts. And this is even worse for me that... American parents spend six hours a week shopping and 45 minutes a week talking to their kids. And so consciously or unconsciously, we are taught that money and new stuff is the main route to personal fulfillment. Now, you may think, and I would hope that Christians are better informed about money, but in fact, I fear that it could be even worse for us because you've probably heard it said that... um, It's more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. So that's a bit of a concern if you consider yourself rich. You've also heard it said that um, God loves the poor. So if God loves the poor, then do I need to be poor? And so there's a bit of a concern in your heart, but then you switch on your TV and the prosperity guy stands in front of you and he's got too much makeup on and there's a Hammond organ droning in the background and a ticker tape running along the bottom of the TV. And he says, if you will give me a thousand rand right now, as the Lord has led me to ask you for it, um, right now, if you don't have it, it doesn't matter. You can just give your credit card number. But if you do that right now, Heaven's taps will be opened, and abundant blessings, you know, but more than a thousand-fold will rain down on you, and you might be tempted to think that you've just discovered the riddle of the divine slot machine. Line up the numbers. God blesses you, and everything's cool after that. But the problem is it doesn't work for you, because he gets rich and buys a new airplane, but you still can't buy your, uh, buy your groceries. And so unfortunately, <laughs> Christians are confused. With money, if it's evil, you can buy prostitutes and drugs and fight wars, but you can also build orphanages. And I think the thing is that Jesus knows how confused we're going to be about money, and he talks about it an enormous amount. And Piper makes the point that Jesus speaks more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined. I saw another stat that... uh, In the scriptures, there's about 500 verses on prayer. There's about less than 500 verses on faith, but there are 2,000 verses on money. So I'm just going to pray this morning and ask that the Lord would open our hearts and help us to learn something about how He feels about money and stuff and materialism this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, these are difficult topics, they confuse us. We hear so many winds of doctrine. And yet, every part of our lives is involved with money. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that in your grace, in your mercy, and in your love for us, and by the tender ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to learn something, Lord, that will help us as we go forward. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would be open to hear from you. Amen. We're going to go to Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, please turn there with me. Um, I'll be reading from verse 13. But if you scan through the passage, you'll be able to see the context. If you look at verse 1, a crowd of many thousands had gathered. So Jesus was doing well in his ministry. Okay? In fact, it says here, people were trampling on one another to come and hear him speak. So there's this new rabbi on the block, this new kid, and people are flocking in their thousands to see him. And he's preaching a pretty heavy sermon, as is often the case. He's gunning for the Pharisees. And he's talking about the fact that we should be prepared to own him before men. Um, If you carry along, that passage where it says he knows the number of hairs on your head, That's here, that's what he's preaching about. He talks about publicly acknowledging you if you publicly acknowledge him. He speaks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and he tells you that the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when you're brought before the authorities because of him. And in the middle of this, there's an interruption and this is where we start reading. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, in Jewish culture and Jewish uh, law, the inheritance gets divided so that the older brother gets a double portion. So this is not an older brother. Because otherwise he wouldn't be coming to this controversial rabbi and saying, hey, help me get more. This guy is unhappy with the inheritance. And he wants Jesus to adjudicate in his favor so that he can get more more for himself. That's what it comes down to. And let's see what Jesus says. Jesus replied, verse 14, Man, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. There's a lot going on here. Does Jesus sound a bit irritated to you? Man. I mean, he's sounding forth to thousands, right? This dude, do you think he's been listening to Jesus? Uh uh-uh. uh. He's trying to get to the front of the crowd. Like, he's got to get there. Because he's got to get to Jesus close enough that he can say to him, hey, help me. I need more of this inheritance. Check what these oaks are doing to me. Jesus is a bit annoyed with this guy. And the other thing is that he he just says, look, I'm not going to do it. Who appointed me an arbiter? Let the law take its course. Let tradition carry on as tradition always does. But here's the problem. He sees the man's heart. He reads his heart. And he nails him. He's not subtle. What has he seen? He's seen covetousness. He's seen greed. And he's seen materialism. Let me read to you from the Amplified Version, the same verse. And he said to them, Guard yourselves, keep free from all covetousness, the immoderate desire for wealth, the greedy longing to have more. For a man's life does not consist in and is not derived from possessing overflowing abundance or that which is over and above his needs. Jesus sees this and he spots a teaching moment. Now, what's interesting You know parables, right? Jesus tells a story. And then I'm sure you remember some cases in the New Testament. Um, I'm not a professional, so I won't remember them. But, you know, where where Jesus, afterwards, the people going like, huh, huh, What? what was that all about? Can you explain that to us, Jesus? Not yet. Jesus hasn't even told the parable yet. And he's in there with the conclusion. He starts with the conclusion. And this conclusion is so pressing, it's so countercultural, it's so profound. And some have argued that it is the one statement in the Bible that Christians would like to write right out of the text and completely ignore. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, a Jewish boy like the one who had just come and asked for the inheritance would know the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. What is covetousness? An immoderate desire to have this world's goods. This is interesting in the definition. It shows itself either by unrighteous acts in procuring or selfish omissions in keeping the wealth of this world. So in the very definition of covetousness is that, yes, the desire is ungodly, but what we do to make the desire come true is part of covetousness, what we do to get stuff and what we do to keep stuff. Colossians 3.5 says we've been raised with Christ, and then it gives you that long list of what we need to put to death because it belongs to the earthly nature. And then in the end of the list it says, and put to death greed, which is idolatry. So materialism is a sin of our time that embodies covetousness and greed, and it's a doctrine that says that the highest value We must place on material things and material progress. And we become preoccupied with material things instead of spiritual things. Now, I want to just read you a little um, excerpt from one of A.W. Tozer's books. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess always possess. It covers things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us. God's gifts have taken the place of God And the whole course of nature is upset by this monstrous substitution. I'm sure you may not have fought over an inheritance. But if you felt you've got to get a new car because the one you've got is already three years old and, I don't know, very soon the petrol tank will be empty. Or maybe uh, you're like me and you're about to, I haven't got my phone yet, I would show you if I did. But I mean, I've got this really cool phone, I think it's an iPhone something something, but... um, you know, I got it because it had a really big screen. It's got a really cool big screen and my eyes are fading as you can see. And so I was like, hey, this is so lecker. I can actually read them again. You know, I'm gonna get a new one now and it's actually got a really nice small screen because it's really, small screens are back in, you know. Time for a new phone, 13 grand out the window. I mean, our lifestyles have made us believe that stuff is absolutely essential. And there's another thing I wanna just challenge you with this morning is that when we start to talk about money and wealth, I bet you every single one of you in the room checks out. Me, wealthy, not a chance. So just so that you know, if in South Africa, you are wealthy, almost every single one of you here is wealthy, if your net asset value, if everything you own, everything, your house, your car, everything, is worth 450,000 Rand, do you know where you fall in South Africa's economic scale? 450,000? top 10%. 90% of your countrymen are poorer than you. But we won't argue about who's rich or not. We're going to get to the parable now. It's a parable about a rich man. But the guy that the parable is spoken to primarily is a poor man. He is selfish. He is wanting more. The rich man's got everything he wants. He doesn't want any more. He's self-satisfied. But to Jesus, the problem is both of them have got their passions directed in the wrong way. And so both the rich and the poor can have an enormous problem with their attitude towards money. One is wanting desperately to get more of it, but the other one is wanting desperately to hold on to that which he or she already has. And if you don't don't believe me, go to a bookshop to the investment and business section, and you'll find on the left-hand side of the books, all the books about how to make a million. And on the right-hand side, you'll find all the books about how to diversify your portfolio. Anyway, what must I do to get it? What must I do to keep it? The problems of the rich, the problems of the poor, and both of them are wrong. So Jesus gets on with the parable anyway. Let's just go back to the text. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Let's just stop there for a second. The ground yielded an abundant harvest. You could say this man was blessed out of his socks. But remember, if you looked at the title, it said it's the parable of the rich fool. Do not mistake your financial well-being for a necessary sign of God's blessing. Just because you're wealthy does not mean that God loves your lifestyle. You could have got wealthy by robbing those who work for you and paying them a non-living wage. Don't make that mistake. I know that's hard to say. But notice also that the blessings of God fall on the just and the unjust. Remember David in the Psalms railing against God and saying, God, what is it? Why do the wicked prosper? And the only way he could find peace in his heart was when he considered their eternal destiny. So don't make that mistake. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you are specifically blessed by God's approval of the way that you're living. Let's carry on. He's had the abundant harvest and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Cool problem to have, huh? Got too much stuff. Don't know what to do with it. There are such things as rich people's problems, right? Black Friday sale, you go to wherever you go and there's a big special and you come home with stuff and your wife says to you, and what do you think we are going to do with this? Where are we going to put it? Has it ever happened to you? Rich people's problems. Or let me give you another rich people problem. My rich people problem. You've been working hard for 30, 40 years. You look at your pension portfolio and it looks great. I mean, the shares are rocking. And then COVID comes. And you've got all this stuff. I mean, you've got on your phone, you can go to your share portfolio and find out, you know, how's it going? How many millions do I have now? When can I retire? And then someone tells you, no, Jesus, Iran's going to depreciate. And Cyril's going to do this, and they're going to come and take the people's farms, and then you're going to have nothing left. And, uh, and, and now I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. Maybe I should have put my money somewhere else. I'm going to have to go to a briar quickly to find a friend to give me financial advice. (laughs) There are such things as rich people's problems. So let's see how this man solves his rich people's problems. He says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Sounds like a good retirement plan. Commend him. He's not using it all up. He's storing some for the future. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. There's a lot of personal pronouns in there. I will tear down my bonds. I will build new ones. I will say to myself. You notice the absolute self-indulgence? He didn't stop and say, let's let's get a staff party. I mean, guys, it's been a good year on the farm. Let's call the guys together. We'll have a prayer meeting and we'll say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, because you've blessed me. No, no. I will tear down my barns and I will store this all up for good little me so that I can live a life of abject luxury and ease. Completely and utterly self-centered. Have you noticed that when you have a lot, It's easy to forget those who've got a little bit less than you. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you see somebody whose clothes are less cool than yours, who maybe doesn't have their own transport, who maybe doesn't have the education that you have, have you noticed how easy it is to think of them as lesser people, to talk down to them as if they're stupid, And the assumption within all that is that everything I have is because I am such a competent, good person. Have you noticed that? Do we sometimes forget to thank God humbly for what we've got and use what we've got instead to lord it over those who do not have? Let's see what God's response was to this man. So he's about to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, you fool. Now, now, God doesn't often speak in parables. If you look at parables, you'll see the voice of God doesn't come through very often. This is a story about the lady who lost her coin and she looked under the bed, you know, that kind of stuff. But here God speaks into the story that Jesus is telling. And God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. This man's invested everything in the here and now. And God speaks and he goes straight for the jugular again. And he goes straight for one of people's biggest fears. I've got all this stuff but what happens when I die? Because God's just told him you're not even going to get to have any fun from it. We've all seen the movie, haven't we? The guy you know who's I've seen this movie, maybe it's my job, but you know, the guy you know that's worked hard his whole life and he's finally got it together and the pension's looking all right. And he's got the, I don't know, he's got the four by four trailer and a nice truck and he's going to go to Namibia for a long holiday. And as he loads that truck and he brings that last suitcase, you know, all those extra shoes that his wife had bought in the Black Friday sale, and he tosses it on top of the roof rack and he drops dead of a heart attack. Have you seen that movie before? Have you heard that story? I have. Dealt with those people. Let's see how the parable ends. Verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So, and that's it. That's the end of the story. This is how it will be. You might never get to use all the stuff you've stored up. If you just store it up for yourself and are not rich towards God. And I looked at this and asked myself, well, okay, we've kind of heard what not to do. Let's have a look at the rich man. What were his mistakes? I mean, I'm sure if you look at what he's done, you can think of a few yourself. I've made a list of seven of the rich man's mistakes. It's better to learn from other people's mistakes, isn't it? So, so let me tell you the ones that I found. He forgot the source of his blessing. I mean, we said it. He never for a minute acknowledged that everything he had came from the Lord. He thought that all the good stuff he had must be just for him. He didn't for a moment consider that maybe the Lord had blessed him so that he could bless others. He cared more for the stuff than he did for people, didn't he? He planned his estate all by himself. Never spoke to the Lord At all. He planned his estate all by himself. Number four, he thought that his highest good was attained by self-indulgence. He thought that the very best life he could live was champagne and caviar. He never thought for a minute that maybe God had created his life for divine purpose. And he could get rid of some of the champagne and caviar and reinvest that into something more worthwhile. He overestimated the length of his life. Of course, he also underestimated the length of eternity. And he focused everything on the physical, and he completely forgot about the spiritual. And then finally, he put all his eggs in one broken basket. He didn't invest anything for his future. And I looked at this, and I thought to myself, well, what does it mean then to be rich towards God? Because that's what we call to Well, obviously, we could do the opposite. Every one of those things I've just listed, we could do exactly the opposite. We could plan our estates with God's advice. We could look to diverting funds for others. We could realize that everything we have is not for us. But I think there's more. And so I want us to go back to the text. And I want to carry on reading. Because remember, Jesus was speaking to the thousands. This youngster comes up and interrupts his flow. Because of his covetousness. Jesus tells the story of a rich fool. And then let's look at verse 22. And I'm just going to read this section through for you. (coughs) Jesus said to his disciples. Now he's back talking to his disciples. Therefore I tell you. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body. What you will wear. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. I love this. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, here today, tomorrow, thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, you of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom And these things will be given to you as well. And then he ends. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want to give you three pointers That will help us not be rich fools. The first one is this. The Lord knows what we need. And he undertakes to provide for that need. Look at verse 30. The pagan world runs after all such things. Your father knows that you need them. If we could fully grasp that, don't you think we'd be released from a lot of our anxiety and worry? God our provider. Don't you think we'd be liberated from the need to hoard? And don't you think we'd be compelled, propelled into a more generous lifestyle if we really believed that God was our provider? That's the first one. The Lord knows what we need, and He undertakes to provide for those needs. Here's a second one. Another reassurance from Jesus that helps us reprioritize. If we seek first his kingdom, the rest will follow. And that's from verse 31. Seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus is telling us that all our restless need to have more can be dealt with when we get our priorities right. The anxiety can be replaced by security, a feeling of safety. And there's one more promise that helps us get into a right relationship with our money and our stuff. And I don't have time this morning to talk about asceticism and um, reassure you that God is not directly compelling every Christian here for all time to sell everything they own. That's not necessarily sensible. This is a more vivid expression of Matthew 6. But let me put it to you like this. Be very loosely attached to your stuff and your money. The investments you make in eternity are safe and they bring guaranteed returns. Be very loosely attached to your stuff and to your money. Investments in eternity are safe and they bring guaranteed returns. Toza put it like this very simply. Long for the giver, not for the gifts. Are you fretting about money? Jesus first are you overcome with worry seek his kingdom get close enough to him so that you will be able to hear his reassurance that he hears your need he knows your need and he is inclined to provide for you now you may be living your life and you've never fallen in love with Jesus and um, you've never begun to follow him And you're hard at work building your house on a foundation of sand. You're hard at work trying to be successful, trying to get ahead in business, trying to build that retirement portfolio, to be able to afford the car of your dreams and the house of your dreams and the other house of your dreams and all that stuff. And perhaps you think that when you follow Jesus, he's going to ask you, He's going to take away your fun. He's going to take away your joy. Following Jesus, it's just not going to give me the same enjoyment of my life. I want to read you one of my favorite authors. And uh, remember, he was a professor of medieval literature, so his English is a little bit heavy. But let me, let me give it to you slowly. C.S. Lewis. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion of, That to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing. I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. In other words, if you think that being a Christian means you can't be looking forward to enjoying your life, you've got it seriously wrong. Okay. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And I love his turn of phrase. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Folks, I want to tell you today that having millions of rand in the bank can never compare with the joy, the security, and the sheer bliss and delight of following Jesus. That's what I want to tell you today. Don't make the mistake, you only get one life. Don't focus on the wrong thing. Every Hollywood suicide should remind you of that. Every billionaire divorce settlement should remind you that even if you succeed in your life's goals beyond your wildest dreams, And have everything and have so much money coming in that you have absolutely no way of being able to spend it or even give it away. It can't even guarantee you a decent relationship with a partner for the rest of your life. It brings you a lot of worries and a lot of stress. And it pales into insignificance when placed next to the incomparable joy of following Jesus. You can't buy happiness, even in this life. It's only found in the vigorous pursuit of Christ. And I want to end this morning by reading you another quote. It's from C.S. Lewis again at the end of his book called Mere Christianity. And he says this, Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself. And in the long run you will find only hatred Loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. So let me just remind you of where Jesus started, the story of the rich fool. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let's pray together. Lord, it's so difficult for us to extract ourselves from our culture and think differently about the important matters in life. It's so difficult for us to settle into the blissful joy of knowing Jesus when the lure of the things of this world is so strong, so ever-present, pushing on us from every side, every moment of every day. Lord, won't you speak to our hearts today? Lord, won't you help us be honest before you about the, the lure of stuff and money? Challenge us, Lord, if covetousness means that we're trying to get it just a little bit too hard and we're trying to keep it just a little bit too selfishly. But Lord, I pray that you would melt our hearts in this area. Help us to see you as our provider. Help us to know you as our joy giver and to live a life, Lord, of abundance that comes from your hand to understand that every good gift is a blessing from the Lord. And just to revel every day in your love for us, in your provision for us, in in your care for us. Lord, I bring to you today those who have financial challenges. I pray, Lord, that they would come within the fellowship of faith to know you as their provider. And I pray, Lord, for those who have much. I pray, Lord, that they would come to know you as their source and their inspiration. Speak to our hearts, Lord, Lord, now as we continue to worship you together. In Jesus' name. I'd
1: like to invite you to stand as we continue to worship To this I hold
2: to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever Lord be grateful for you you're the one who is captaining our lives Lord the whole of creation and this morning we grateful for your word I pray it would sink deeply into our hearts, Lord. Help us be a people characterized by the kingdom, understanding, Lord, that this world is passing fast, and there's a greater one yet to come. Help us be ready, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. The team's just going to play a little bit longer. It's been wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord. If you want to just pray and spend some time in his presence, you can do that. But join us. Outside for some fellowship. It's been lovely to be with you. We'll see you next week.